So I think constantly staying in pursuit of the level beyond the next, as Proverbs says, that's probably what keeps me going. You know, when you wonder, what if I don't give up? What if I keep going a little further? What if I try that avenue? So that really helps to kind of keep the fires going. You are listening to Stream. Every bone in my body was like, you are not doing this, this is wrong. Keep the conversation going and remain top of mind. Challenges are not supposed to stop you. The priorities and the things that we value have entirely changed. What we think influences what we say and how we behave. Taking the first step will reveal the next step. We try and create tomorrow what didn't exist today. It's not going to be perfect. You have to just keep moving forward. Welcome to Stream, a platform where different streams of consciousness come together to share stories of struggles and success. I'm your host, Marisa Logan. This episode of Stream is brought to you by local online furniture and decor boutique, Palmy Living. We all had a pretty rough 2020, and amidst all the major life changes, our homes have become increasingly important. So as we unwind into the end of the year, Palmy Living inspires us to escape into slow summer evenings at home. Their pieces are locally crafted using only the best materials and helping you create a home worth escaping to, making your home your favorite destination. The Stream community will receive 15% of any purchases made online using the exclusive discount code hashtag stream. Now back to our episode hosted by my co-host Andela Mlandu. Hey, Stream community. My name is Andela Mlandu and welcome to the Stream FA podcast. Now, my next guest today is a phenomenal woman who I started following her career journey from when I started my journey as well. And one thing about her that I love is the fact that she has been able to merge her love for numbers and her love for broadcasting together. And today we're going to be delving in a little bit more and finding out what is it that drives her, what are maybe some of the struggles that she's gone through, and just being a woman in South Africa and owning your space. Welcome, Gugule Tumfupi, to the stream. I am so excited to speak to you, uh, so excited to speak to the stream community. This has been a long time coming, so I'm glad it could finally happen. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be formal and call you Gugule, I hope it's okay. I'm going to call you Gugu, is that okay? Oh no, that's okay. That's only when we, yeah, only for formalities, but, <laughs> but very, yeah, but no, not today. Now, Gugu, I'm going to touch on a couple of things that you've done. Don't be shy about it, but you are a jack of all trades. I mean, a conversation strategist, a global moderator, an award-winning broadcaster, and a corporate speaker. I mean, as a woman of color doing all of that work in South Africa, in the finance industry and the broadcasting industry in South Africa, why would you say it's important for women to not necessarily stick to one thing, but to wear multiple hats when it comes to their careers? Sure. Interesting question. Um, you've gone for the Jaguar with that one, right? <laughs> but you're quite right. I've been very lucky in terms of managing and, and merging uh, a talent and a passion of mine with something that I've always loved and admired and have been capable of doing, which is numbers and you know analyzing businesses and companies. And I think wearing multiple hats really speaks to who we are as individuals. I have yet to find someone who only has one talent and one talent only. You know, and I think a lot of us do have a lot of areas of interest, a lot of passion points or things that actually just might make our brains, you know, or tickle our brain cells, so to speak. Um, and for me, I found it very important and I've been lucky enough to be able to kind of tap into most of those opportunities. I'm also aware and very mindful of the fact that there are some areas of my life that still need, you know, developing and new talents that I need to explore. Um, so yeah, I, I'm cognizant of that. And I think that's part of the beauty of life that as much as we put ourselves under pressure that, ah, oh, I haven't done this yet. Ah, oh, I still have to meet this target and use this talent and explore this capability a little bit further. But that's the beauty about life is that it's an ongoing journey perhaps where we are allowed to evolve and constantly develop and reinvent ourselves. So yeah, you're quite right. Within the ambit of South Africa, I've been fortunate to actually wear a lot of hats and work for a number of organizations and institutions and meet a myriad of people um, who've really contributed to my life in a positive manner. That's beautiful. Do you mind if we take it back a bit? Um, you started out in finance, so you, did, you have a BCom accounting from the University of Johannesburg. Yes, ma'am. Oh, we worked hard for that degree because <laughs> our hearts weren't in it. <laughs> 
that journey like? I mean, progressing from, because I, I also know, I've done my research, I also know that you uh, were at UJFM, uh, you've been a news broadcaster. What, please take us through that journey up until this point. Oh, that was quite interesting. Um, so funny enough, when I wrapped up high school, it was kind of clear, you know, I, I want to be a CA, I want to be a hotshot businesswoman. And you know how it is, we grew up reading some business or ladies magazines and all the ladies who were known to be powerful or have some kind of influence specifically in the business sphere. Um, majority of them were like chartered accountants or engineers. So that was essentially the deciding factor for me. So right through high school, that was kind of like where my mind was focused and edged at. But I can tell you this, in the first semester of my first year, I knew very well <laughs> that I don't want this accounting life. Um, you go through VAC work, you shadow people, you go through the course. And uh, I recall I had like a couple of subs. I, I remember I failed stats. Fortunately, it wasn't a major, but I had a few subs and I just thought to myself, ah, oh, this is exhausting. Um, but at the same time, I was capable of doing it once I got my mind right and was like, hold on, you know, I can't switch to marketing now or I can't, you know, switch to any other topics or themes or uh, degrees that I want to explore. So let me suck it up and, you know, find the beauty in it. And funny enough, instead of enjoying you know, accounting as well as financial management, the things that really spoke to me was business management and economics, because there was always like a lot more theory and an explanation and a story behind the numbers. And I think perhaps that's probably in hindsight, and if I could change the curricula of, of studies, I'd probably say people need to teach accounting differently for, for there to be a story behind the numbers, because for a lot of us, it's literally debits and credits moving from source document to various financial statements and then going through the audit process. Um, so very transactional and numbers and black and white. And now that I'm very fully aware of my personality type, you know, things aren't always very binary for me. Um, but nonetheless, I managed to complete my uh, accounting degree and I was fortunate enough that whilst pursuing my degree, I had a friend of mine who worked at UJFM, Mami Mushashon, amazing friend of mine, um, who we still actually good friends with at the moment. And um, she was a newsreader at UJFM and I was like, this thing that you do, I think I like it. I'm good at public speaking, you know, let me give it a try. And fortunately at the time, the guy who was in charge of news actually works for another broadcaster right now. Um, and um, he actually gave me the go ahead and the job. And that was beautiful because I was able to transition from news reading to uh, producing, producing to co-hosting a show on the odd day, actually filling in for someone to do traffic. So the beauty about um, UJFM and I guess campus stations across the world is the fact that you're able to wear multiple hats and kind of find your sweet spot. So I enjoyed presenting. I enjoyed the news reading. And you can imagine at the time, we're all young, we're all vibey, UJFM, you know, there's some cool kids, some are cooler than others. And some of the cool kids made their way to YFM at the time. Um, they had the Y Academy. And that was all the rage because if you were young, hip and happening and wanted to make it into broadcasting, that was like the best stepping stone ever. I applied. I didn't make it. And um, fortunately, my CV, through sending it out, found its way um, in the hands of a leader at Prime Media. And then I started the job of being an overnight newsreader at one of the, what I regarded the best radio stations uh, in the country. Um, so I literally grabbed that opportunity and ran. Very serious, very formal, difficult working hours, but boy, oh boy, did I relish in it. And um, fortunately, it's worked in my favor. Well, congratulations. It sounds like quite the journey. <laughs> How did you feel when you first got that no from, from the other, from why? <sighs> Complete rejection, right? You kind of feel like you're not good enough. You kind of feel like you are wasting your time. You're not on the right track. But you also feel confused and conflicted because there's a sense and something within you that probably says, I'm good at this. I enjoy it. I'm committed to this particular field of work. And yet it almost seems as though people aren't receptive to either acknowledging my talent and helping develop my talent or just giving me a foot in the door, you know, to actually kind of, of grow. But I also realize in hindsight, what's been a great blessing on Della is, you know, when you kind of get to know yourself better. Um, and I really wish I, if I could go back, oh boy, I'd go back to being 21 and like really focus on just increased self-awareness. Because in hindsight, when I think about it, in terms of my personality, in terms of how I conduct myself, in terms of 
um, you know, the areas of interest and, and what it is that, that really speaks to my heart. Having a good time and talking about parties and being hip and happening is cool. And I'm, I'm, trust me, I'm youthful and I'm down for that. But I also realized that there was another part of my brain that, you know, enjoys stimulation of a different sort. Um, so, so how my path perhaps got diverted really did work in my favor um, to kind of establish a niche within the business space where there have been black presenters who kind of, you know, um, fulfilled that role significantly. Um, you name it. There's a long list of black broadcasters who've really opened up opportunities for us there. So I'm quite grateful that, you know, instead of being another hip happening celebrity with multiple hats, I kind of crafted a niche for myself and wear multiple hats within the business fraternity and economic circle. You're doing it so well. Congratulations. I mean, I've seen you next to the president. I've I've seen you next to really big names. I've seen you at Davos. Uh, I know you're at the World Economic Forum as well. So congratulations to you. It's amazing what you're doing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Earlier on, you mentioned that you've always been um, into public speaking. So with public speaking, I mean, it's no easy thing to do. And many women, I guess many people in, at the workplace, um, people in varsity, you know, future entrepreneurs who are trying to pitch to investors um, have to hone that skill of public speaking and, and speaking in front of a crowd. What would some of your tips be um, for them to hold their own and to be confident enough to be able to speak in public? It's not an easy thing to do at all. So I can imagine how stressful it must be for people. So what advice do you have for them? How does one get into the zone when it comes to public speaking um, and just mastering it as a craft? Sure. Great question. Um, and there are multiple, I think, a, a number of elements that I think people can work on developing. I think first and foremost is your message. What is it that you want to share with people and why is it that you're sharing it with them? Now, I understand for people in the workplace, you know, um, conversations and public speaking engagements differ. Um, you could be asked to speak at a Women's Day event, or you could be asked to give, you know, a monthly report on your department's performance. And once you're able to actually craft your messaging accurately to understand what it is that you want to land with your audience or the people that you're speaking to, that's usually the best place to start. In my field of work, it usually requires a lot of research or engagement with um, different industry experts. But again, that would be specific to, to the individual. So what is it that you are discussing or sharing? How is it that you want that message to land? Um, and ensuring that you actually craft a story by perhaps focusing on three points um, and not necessarily the introduction, the body, as well as the conclusion. But what are those three points, major points or highlights that you'd like people to remember. And even within those separate three points, you can even go back further into elaborating more detail on each three in subsets. But ultimately, once you're able to understand what your messaging is and perhaps even share it in a story, um, that usually lands a lot easier with people. And that's also quite important because usually your audience is always made up of different personalities, right? Um, whether you're teaching a grade one class or you're speaking to a room full of executives and government diplomats, ultimately people absorb information differently. Some like numbers, some like figures, some like um, 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 images better, some do better with color. So you also need to kind of ensure that your, your messaging is crafted in a way to actually appeal to both sides of the audience that you're speaking to. Give the stats guys the facts and figures that they want. Give the creators as well, some of the imagery or pictures, um, and even some video content that might work for you. Um, another key element, I think, is once your message is clear, practice it. Because the more you practice it, the more you know it, and that's where your confidence will come from. Um, because ultimately, once you're very aware of what it is that you're saying and you know your stuff very well, it becomes very difficult for um, anyone to kind of um, not necessarily challenge you, but put you under pressure or put you in a circumstance where you're unable to express yourself adequately. So I'd say understand your message, practice your message to ensure that that does help and assist with your confidence, and then take it in your stride. I think a lot of the time when people have to engage in public speaking um, um, opportunities, you know, we're so overwhelmed by the fear. We're so worried about how people are going to judge how you articulate or how you speak or where your hands are placed, if you're using cue cards or not, what your hair looks like. And the truth of the matter is people like authenticity. So if you are yourself and even if you've prepared a script and you know it to the T, you know where the last comma and additional punctuation mark is. But even if you mess up, 
if you're able to go with the flow and, and be authentic and really be yourself, because you know you've put in the work in your message, you've practiced the work, so you're confident in it. So once you're up there, own it, you know, really own it. Yes, it can be difficult. Eyes and attention can be intimidating for some people. But I believe once you put in the background work, then it's just a matter of developing the confidence to um, take up the spotlight and own it. I love that. Thank you so much. I love what you mentioned about adapting the content or research to fit your audience. Because many times you sit in events and you're overwhelmed by the different jargon. You know, it's, it's so complex when you go to a finance seminar. You're overwhelmed by all these unfamiliar terms. So I'm so glad you touched on that. Um, just adding on to that, as an individual, if I'm writing a speech or preparing for a presentation, so you touched on using different slideshows and maybe um, making sure that you, you're speaking to every person in the room. Uh, what is the one key element when it comes to that? Like, wh how do you know? Because you never know who you're speaking to or you never know who is in the room. So how do you adapt that content or that research to fit that particular person so that people can leave the room feeling like, okay, I picked up on one or two things from this conversation. That's a very valid point and something so important, especially for those who want to enter the speaking space, um, either offering keynotes based on the areas of expertise or, you know, someone who just wants to share information with an audience in a different light. Yeah, ordinarily within the speaking field and where we start is actually inquiring as to who is in the room, you know, um, and, and you can imagine sometimes you do conferences that might be focused on SMMEs and entrepreneurs, but that's also a very wide scope. Are these guys making 5 million rand in turnover or are they making 55 million rand in turnover? Um, and that also speaks to, okay, what's their area of expertise? You know, what's their, 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 their uh, depth of industry knowledge um, and, and years of experience within that environment? So I would say a good place to start is always to ask. Um, you might have a benefit, especially if you do a lot of public speaking engagements within your own workplace, because you've got the opportunity to actually engage with people beforehand to kind of understand, hold on, what are you looking for from this conversation? You know, whether it's the monthly report or a once-off year event. Um, so you'll be able to kind of fish as to what it is that they're looking for. But I have also had the opportunity to witness at conferences specifically where perhaps I'm the MC or I'm the moderator and I'm observing a number of keynote speakers coming on stage, delivering their message and walking off, is that it's, it's the guys who are able to adapt their content to the audience that they're speaking to. And like you said, you obviously need to go back and actually ask questions as to who are you speaking to. But an economist speaking to a group of fellow economists is very different in their presentation speaking to a group of property developers. Mm -hmm. And that will be very different to a group of um, in, uh, economists who might be speaking to a group of creatives in the advertising industry um, to understand what their clients' needs are. Um, and I found that there's a, a certain niche and nuance to the storytelling. So unfortunately it does, I guess to respond to your question, force us to go back to actually inquiring as to who are we speaking to? What is it that they want? But um, with, with, with more expertise and industry insights, people are able to kind of adapt the storytelling narrative to suit their audience. But a good place to start is always finding that duality uh, in your presentation to make sure that you speak to the left brainers and the right brainers, I guess. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that, Google. Now, this new generation, or us as millennials, um, and now with Gen Z as well, we're very big on, as women, having a seat at the table, or as Zozi, our beautiful Miss Universe said, cementing yourself. Uh, what would you say your definition of success is? Because as we are observing with the world of social media, um, instant gratification is also playing a part in how, you know, we define success these days as well. So what is your definition of success? Sure. Very interesting question. And maybe before I give you what my definition of success is, because it might sound simplistic um, as I tell it to you now, but I am one of those South African millennials who has fallen under the pressure of instant gratification, who's fallen under the pressure of imposter syndrome. I'm one of those South Africans as well who has, you know, constantly looking for new ways to do things. And um, then you, you, know, you, you feel the pressure to do more. Once you are doing more, you realize that you might be under strain to actually you know, um, um, 
fully um, address much of the responsibilities that you have. And then you pull back and you feel fatigued and then you blame yourself for feeling fatigued. So it's kind of like this roller coaster ride that I think a lot of us go through and can relate to, right? Um, in terms of wellness and, and being more mentally aware and enjoying the moment as it stands instead of constantly chasing the next. Um, so I'm, I, I can certainly relate to that. And that whole rigmarole and that roller coaster life can actually have success, quote unquote, elude you because you're constantly chasing. And even when you've actually done well for yourself, you forget to sit back and actually clap, acknowledge where you are, how far you've come and what you've done, and then identify ways of taking it further. So that takes me back to the definition of success for me. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, you always listen to these amazing leaders like Oprah and Michelle Obama and you wish, you know, that they could give you some nuggets to success. But what I have come to learn is that for me, part of success and what gives me true joy and what would really allow my soul to rest well the day I die is to know that I've had a positive impact in the lives of those that I've met. And I know that sounds airy-fairy because it almost seems as though you want to be nice to everyone. Um, and maybe I do. But most importantly, beyond that, what I want to be able to say I did was to have positively imparted knowledge with you, to have positively shared an experience with you, to have positively given you some insight into my life that maybe you weren't aware of that you can resonate with, to have positively shown you um, through my weaknesses or through my strengths, how you can work through your own weaknesses and strengths to positively show and impact you in terms of understanding how driven I've been in my career. You too can also attain some, some drive and success within your own career and, and um, other areas of your life. So it's not as airy-fairy <laughs> as, as it might sound, but maybe it's because I, I'm the kind of person who knows that I'm very empathetic and I, I lead from the heart than I do from the brain. And it's gotten me into trouble sometimes. Um, but now that I'm aware of it, I'm also very cognizant of finding an adequate balance to make sure that that impact that I want to have on someone's life is from the heart, but also where necessary can also, you know, speak to their mind, speak to their analytical thinking. So that would be a success for me to know that I've left this conversation and, you know, you feel better, someone else feels better. They know more, they understand more. And they, most importantly, moved to actually want to do more and be more for themselves. That's beautiful. I really love that. I really, really love that. Google, when you meet someone for the first time or when you are in a space where you are networking or you are, you know, moderating a certain event, how do you make sure that you leave a lasting impression? What are some of the things that you do to make sure that somebody remembers you? Oh, that's quite interesting. Um, and funny because just this past weekend, I was at a phenomenal event with amazing women um, in the room. And for anyone, you know, that can be incredibly intimidating. You know, you walk into a space, you've arrived alone. You might be able to identify a couple of faces in the audience, but you also want to connect with people that, you know, um, you know, might be able to assist you in, in, in your career, or your business path, or people that you just want to meet and get to know. Um, so quite interestingly, my, my personality type is an INFJ. And that means I'm an introvert um, in terms of how I gather my energy. I uh, am intuitive in terms of how I take decisions. So I, I follow more my feelings versus the thinking. Um, I, I also happen to be a significant feeler versus someone who just works on thinking strategically and also being a, a bit of a judge. So I kind of like order and structure, you know, versus, you know, people who, who live on adrenaline constantly. Um, and I've noticed that despite that being my personality and how it is that I, you know, choose to interact with people is that I, I usually have a very reserved small circle of people that get to know me incredibly well. But when you're at a networking event, you know, you kind of need to put your big girl panties on and, um, you know, leave an impression. And what I've often found is, like we always forget to do sometimes, is actually fully explain and acknowledge and introduce yourself confidently. So full name, full last name. Um, and giving some perspective as to who you are um, and maybe even why you're at the event. And if you happen to know the person that you're speaking to, you know, um, that often happens these days, especially in the world of social media, where you're actually able to say, oh, hi, Ondela. Uh, lovely to meet you. I've listened to your podcast and, and, and. So usually when you're able to share, 
I guess if you've done your research on the person that you'd like to meet, it's always encouraging. And I've often found that it's almost like people like being acknowledged, acknowledged for what they do. So when you're able to identify that, you know, Andela is a journalist, she's, you know, worked in various fields of the media industry in South Africa and abroad. She speaks Dutch, um, you know, uh, and these are your other talents and abilities that usually resonates with people. So where you are able to um, perhaps just highlight something that you might know of them that might be available in the public domain, but it basically shows that you put in the effort to kind of punch their name into Google. But where you might meet someone for the first time and you're unable um, to actually research them or you haven't even heard of them before, but they sound like very interesting or peculiar people, connect genuinely. And I know that's difficult because we often always feel as though we need to put up a front, right? And, and put your best foot forward. But even when you're able to say, look, I actually arrived at this event alone. I'm really looking to have a good time and to interact with people who are like-minded and who I can also contribute to their growth as they can contribute to mine. Um, tell me more about yourself. But I found that also in doing that, remember the person's name. <laughs> There's nothing worse than meeting someone and forgetting their name. Um, and take interest and listen intently. Um, and it often happens that when you're at industry functions and events that you get distracted by the crowd. It's the waiters. It's the drink in your hand, it's the phone, it's the posting. But when you're able to actually maintain eye contact with someone and listen intently and ask follow-up questions on what they've explained to you, you know, um, then that often helps a lot, um, just to show that you, you genuinely are engaged. So be as interested as you are interesting as well. I love that you mentioned that. Firstly, I want to say that uh, I'm also an IN... INFJ. Yes, I'm actually also that. <laughs> you know that you're very rare, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I love it um, because I, I read a book. It's a very old book. It's, um, I think, one of the first self-help books that was written. It's called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And he touches on how when you meet someone new, don't focus on yourself. Focus on their interests as well and engage with them in that kind of way so that they they take interest in you, but also it's not just about you at that present moment. You make it about them. So I really love, I really love that you mentioned um, shifting the focus from yourself and actually making it about the person and remembering someone's name because that can ultimately make things awkward if you don't. And even if you do forget, I've often found that when you say apologies, you know, it literally just slipped my mind, but please remind me about your name again. By the time you've asked that, you're probably not going to ask them their name again because you will make sure that you remember. Um, but I think sometimes we, we, especially as women, right, we tend to, to get away with calling each other, hey, sweetie, hey, babes, hey, hun. <laughs> yeah. Google, how have you stayed inspired throughout your journey? Oh, great question. Um, I think because I know that I haven't necessarily fully lived out to my full potential. I think I've been able to accomplish some things in my career that have surprised me, surprised people around me, but most importantly have also been goals and ambitions that I wanted to fulfill. Um, but how do I keep inspired? I think genuinely just trying to go back into the insights as to what is it going back to fulfilling my purpose. And, and as I said, you know, wanting to have a positive impact in the lives of people that I meet doesn't just only have to happen on radio or through a podcast or at a conference uh, or on TV. Um, it can happen in a number of ways. And probably that's what has also encouraged me to kind of go back to school um, um, in pursuit of my postgraduate diploma and then moving on to my MBA is, is to to kind of build up the other muscle, the numbers muscle that I enjoy um, to make sure that I do find ways of extending and impacting people's lives differently. But I think Oprah puts it best, um, you know, and, and I think she's known for telling people that, you know, when you know better, you do better. And most importantly, that you have the responsibility upon yourself to live, um, you know, to, to the highest level of your being and existence that you're able to achieve. So I think constantly staying in pursuit of the level beyond the next, as Proverb says, um, that, that's probably what keeps me going. You know, when you wonder, what if, what if I don't give up? What if I keep going a little further? What if I try that avenue? Um, so that, that really helps to kind of keep the fires going for me personally. 
And throughout your journey, is there someone who has a tremendous impact in your life that's probably been a mentor or somebody in your family that's just kept you going? Wow. I've been very blessed, Andela, to come from an amazing family, an amazing family structure where, with both my parents and the both of them have been phenomenal um, in terms of how they've supported my journey, my life's path, um, and, and just in helping me become more of who I am. And, and I always say I'm, I'm a daddy's girl, but I'm my mom's best friend. And, and that probably does best describe our relationship. Um, I remember my father's like the first person I speak to when there's any major contract changes, like literally from my first job to today, you know, he's still the kind of guy I call to say, hold on, because he's very good with numbers and very analytical. So I guess that's where I get the, the part of the brains from. Um, so he's very technical in that regard and able to assist me. I mean, Andela, to the point where if I use too many words, he'll probably listen to this podcast and tell me, ah, you said this word too many times. The content was great. Your messaging was clear, but you could have done this and that. So he is one of my, my best constructive critics. Um, and he even says that I'm your biggest critic, but I'm also your biggest fan. Um, so I'm very mindful of that. Yeah. And my mom's also just been the kind of person who... She's never put me under pressure to, to do anything or be anyone. She's always just, you know, found, found joy and contentment in, in me being myself. So even with the public speaking in primary school, in high school, when we'd have to drive to different schools and attend evening events because I want to deliver a speech, it was never an issue for them. Um, even with the sporting activities, it was never an issue for them. And I guess because they see um, and resonate with what makes me happy um, and that in turn makes them happy. So I, I guess within my nucleus, those are the people who've really given me constant love and support, um, which cannot be denied. And I guess it's also filtered through not only to my siblings, but also through to my broader family. And then I think if we're speaking industry-wise um, or, or within the broader construct of society, sheesh, there are quite a number of formidable Black women who have worked in broadcasting or in the public speaking arenas or even within the business fraternity who have really shifted lives. I could go as far as saying Oprah. I mean, who hasn't listened to Oprah and felt something within them shift, right? You think of Maya Angelou as well. Um, you feel something within your shift. But I think even closer to home, for me, and, and I'm very lucky because I have the opportunity now to engage with some of these ladies like the Jerry Ramzedis, the Sikkim Kabadelis, um, the Carol Bowers, um, um, many of these women who I used to sit watching them on TV growing up, you know, and thinking to myself, hmm, I'd like to have that job. Hmm, what if I did that? And you know how it is. You grow up, you pretend to be um, a school teacher, you play school, school, you pretend to be a TV presenter. You pretend to be a lot of things, right? Because as a child, you're able to play around and then really bring out um, your thoughts and in your, in your imagination. So I guess... I'm, I'm constantly inspired by the growth, the, the depth of knowledge, the depth of experience, and the boldness that is often displayed by Black women within different spheres of society. Um, and, and I say that confidently because I've had the opportunity, even speaking to you today, I mean, you heard what a girl, girl fan I was <laughs> ranting and raving about you, but I mean, that's such a fortunate position where even when I do go through the imposter syndrome, even when I do have doubts, even when I am fearful, I'm often reminded of conversations that I've been privy to purely because of the basis of my work um, and the women that I've been exposed to who come from phenomenal stories, phenomenal backgrounds, and have just been able to achieve the most outstanding of things. Um, so, so, yeah, I guess parents, Oprah, um, and of course, just the journey that most black women take and how bold we are as well as millennials in terms of leading the charge, having bold conversations and really trying to shift the needle in terms of, you know, the impact we want to have in society. Mm, having a good support structure um, is a good mm. foundation for any career. I think, I think it's important. But also, even though we do have support structures, sometimes it's not so easy to ask for help. And... This is, this is a big thing, especially for women, because we want to be able to do things on our own because we're capable, because we think that's what's expected of us. Uh, do you have any issues asking for help or it's okay for you to be vulnerable and ask for help when you aren't coping? Oh, 
that's actually influ- impacted my life um, both professionally and personally. Um, so, so I have gone through the occasion, you know, where you struggle to ask for assistance because you're fearful, you're worried about being judged, you're worried that people will think, oh my gosh, she doesn't know what she's doing, right? Um, uh, and, and also fearful perhaps because you, you, you're worried of what you might learn or get exposed to. Um, and in my personal life, I recall that impacting me at the time when I was going through, I was previously married and went through a divorce and even going through the marital challenges, um, I was rather scared to open up and actually reveal to the world or people close to me even, um, that hold on, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with this decision here. I'm not too sure if it's on track. Um, I've tried these options to make things work and it didn't really work out because you're fearful of the fact that you walked into this marriage with the best of intentions to really make things last. And here you are two years in saying, hold on, I think I made a mistake. Um, so there is a sense of shame and judgment um, that, that you tend to feel there. Um, but I was fortunate enough that um, those close to me were able to, you know, identify the shortfalls, the loopholes, and, and able to assist me throughout that journey. And for, even from a professional point of view too, I, I, I do find that, you know, sometimes you struggle, and especially within our industry on Delaware, you know, now we're living in the gig economy. You know, if, if you're lucky enough to have just one full-time job, you know, kudos to you. But a lot of us are actually exploring other talents and, and hence we wear these multiple hats. And things like finalizing contracts or fees or terms and conditions can really get you up in a, a sweat, you know, um, because you want to put your best professional foot forward, but yet you're, you're lost in terms of the nuances and the technicalities of how it is to, to, to iron out some of the finer um, details of, of how it is that you work. Um, so that has caught up with me before. I have been um, lucky in terms of the fact that I've had um, peers that I've been able to speak to and we kind of work through things together. But there have always so been some amazing women who... <laughs> It's weird. Like you watch someone, you see their work, you respect them and you observe them. And then you have the opportunity to interact with them. And then they, you know, offer, you know, an olive branch to kind of extend some help to you. Um, And that's happened with me before where, you know, ladies like Nikki Bush as well, who are quite well known within the speaking fraternity. I constantly mention seeking and that's, I guess you can see what an influence she's helped had in my life. Um, I, I recall she, um, had um, interviewed me for the Mail and Guardian top 200 list. And she said to me, look, I can't tell you that you're going to make it to the list or not, but girl, you stand a good chance. So let's do this interview just for protocol purposes, mm-hmm. you know, and push it through and, and see where things end up. So I've often found that when you, you speak to people who have been through something or have gone through similar experiences, then it's often easier for you to kind of get some guidance. Um, so from peers like Nozi Pombanjo, Fifi Peters, we often engage quite, quite often. Um, and even speaking to your seniors within the industry or the field. And sometimes speak to people who are on the other side, the guys that you're actually negotiating with to say, hold on, where, how is this supposed to work? How, it, how is it that I'm meant to um, present this paperwork or you know, manage this particular transactional process? Um, you'll be surprised how, how many people are willing to help. And I think... You know, as the, as the old adage says, what's the worst that, they, that can happen mm. for someone to say no? And usually when you ask and you are sincere in your request and very genuine in your approach, 90% of the time you'll get a yes and you will get some kind of assistance. So you're right, it takes a bit of uh, water and some strong swallowing of that pride. Um, but once that's down, it's, it's a lot easier to manage. From this conversation what i what i really admire about you is the fact that from when we started right up until now you keep mentioning names of women who have played such a pivotal role in contributing to the woman you are today and i absolutely love that because um if we're pulling each other up as women imagine what that could do and how that could filter through to the next generation and the next generation so i really love that and as you were speaking i was just listening about you know you mentioning all these phenomenal women who have done so much um, in their own capacity and also contributing into your world as well. So I really love that. I think it's necessary. So I'm, I'm glad. I mean, I, I, th- I really think it's necessary. And I think, um, you know, you always hear that these Women's Day functions or women uplifting events, you know, about, you know, pull it down syndrome and how we need to be each other's biggest fans. But in the background, you know, we, we have the itch switch with the B in front of it. 
Um, and fair enough, you know, those kind of politics will come up um, um, in different spaces. And I think that has a lot to do with the mindset in terms of, you know, women have often been taught to compete with each other. Um, and we've heard that previously from the likes of Chimamanda, you know, but we are a generation that is aware of these things, you know? So I feel like if we know that that's the, the mental model and the stereotype that's being created around women working together, when you know better, you're supposed to do better. So, so you know, it really is a conscious effort, you know, um, to make sure that we do celebrate and continue to support each other as women. So, yeah, I, I think we, we need to relish in it and, and live in it. Um, and even if you think about it, I, I was also reading your story on Dela Sama, where that you've, you've grown up in a family of amazing women who've really shaped your thinking and, and, you know, molded how it is that you approach the world from your grandmother to your aunt and your mom. And that should tell us something, you know, that if it's a community of women who have been able to raise you to be a globe trotter, you know, someone who's so versatile in your skills, goodness, you know, can you imagine what would happen if we just continue to connect and interact with each other? Boundless opportunities, boundless. Absolutely. Oh, I mean, the fact that you did research on me, I'm just like, no, I'm, the, I'm, I'm family. You're not supposed to. <laughs> I think it's the old um, journalism skills creeping in, just to make sure that I came prepared. <laughs> Google, if you were to have a conversation with 21-year-old Google, what would you say to her? Oh, darling, beautiful. I would say to her, the world is a lot. The world can be confusing and the world can be intimidating, but know that you have a rightful space to occupy. Don't be scared of getting to know yourself first. And whilst it might seem daunting and intimidating because we often want to latch ourselves onto things, partners, boyfriends, careers, money, jobs, Take some time to figure you out. Take some time to figure what makes you tick. And once you know a little bit more about who you are, because it is an evolving journey, um, stand proudly in who you are and own it. And go for everything that comes your way. Take up all the opportunities that you're able to explore and don't hold yourself back. But always start yourself with self and most importantly, ask yourself, what do you want? And then take your decision from there. That's beautiful. I love that. I was taking notes for myself. <laughs> Thank you. And you know why? Because I think even after discovering my personality type and the kind of archetypes that I've um, um, you know, fallen into, I, I, and I'm aware of this, I, I grew up as the last born at home. So I, I have the tendency to be very obedient. Um, and I guess a large part of who I am has been conditioned to, you know, observe, see what the right thing to do is and then do the right thing. And sometimes you do that to your own jeopardy um, um, and it works against you because you're, you're, you're so focused on, on pleasing those around you and, you know, making them happy, making sure that they're secure. Um, but it goes back to that messaging that when that oxygen mask falls down from the ceiling of, of an aircraft, take care of self first before you look to assist other people. So yeah, that, that's a big, that's been a big lesson for me. Big life lesson. Start with self. I love that you mentioned self and self care as a whole, because I think as women, most of the time as nurturers, we want to focus on making sure that everyone else around us is okay. Instead of putting ourselves first. Also, you don't want to come across as, um, you know, self-centered when you take care of yourself. People have so many responsibilities in terms of looking after their families, um, you know, and, and, and not being able to take that moment for themselves. Um, it can be difficult sometimes. What do you do for self-care? Oh, I love this one. Um, and funny, I'm reminded of a post you shared. I think you were doing yoga and breath work. <laughs> <laughs> and you said when it comes to taking care of self, you make sure. And I sat back and I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I need to take a, a, a page out of your book. Um, my my self-care, I've, I've actually got an interesting conundrum for you because I, I enjoy working out um, um, quite a bit. So like here, high intensity um, interval training is kind of like my thing and I enjoy it quite a bit. Um, but what I've often found or what I struggled with before when I started my fitness journey um, um, just over three years ago, before that I was a lot fuller and sugar and panado were like my, my drugs, literally. 
um, was that I, I, I struggled with self-care because I became so obsessive with being a nurturer for myself. So it was get to gym at five, finish up by six, hit the shower at seven, have breakfast and your shake by half past seven, then get to the office just before nine, before it gets intense. You know, and then you find yourself like it's a box ticking exercise. So this thing that is meant to work to your benefit, you know, probably just adds to your stress and the pressure. And what I found was that once I, I let go of the constant targets and, you know, box things to tick off the list, understanding that the objectives to be met at the end of the day, but being mindful of how it is that I choose to take care of myself, um, then I found that I, I found my rhythm a little bit more. So I am an absolute lover of spa days. Um, Pre-COVID, like once a month, the facial was like my thing, purely because I, I used to be the girl who used to do all the home remedies. So the sugar scrub and the egg white mask um, that, and oats and milk, that used to be me. Um, and then I told myself, look, I work too hard to be doing these homemade remedies. So a spa treatment and a facial at least once a month is my thing. Um, so I definitely love those. But when I am home, Andel, I think sometimes we even, you know, discount the value of a nap, you know, um, especially when you're stressful with these back-to-back -back Zoom meetings and Skypes and Teams, it becomes a bit exhausting. So spa treatment or facial at least once a month, um, a good nap time and again, um, and then eating well and taking care of myself, um, um, I, I find also also helps me kind of zone out um, when I'm not 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 on a sugar high from chocolates. I'm a recovering chocoholic. <laughs> I proudly say one who still indulges. Um, but that usually kind of helps me with my self-care um, process. But I'm always keen to learn. So people like yourself who do breath work, I know you do yoga as well. I have a cousin who's obsessed with yoga. I'm still trying to find my rhythm with it. Um, but otherwise, a good workout that gets me like sweaty and tired and effort. Yeah, maybe it's all the anger I keep up. I don't know. So I kind of need like to vent and then calm down and woosah. So those are usually like my, my top three strategies. I love that. And also, you know how we're always told you are what you eat. Uh, I never used to believe that for a very long time until I actually started focusing on what I eat and cutting down on the meat and focusing on actually being mindful of what I put into my body. And it makes a big difference. Huge difference. Huge. Andela, I must tell you, you know, now that we talk about like stresses in the workplace, there was a time I worked for a television broadcasting company. And it used to be the joke kind of in the office with myself and our, our team of producers and, and colleagues in the office because every day at about three o'clock we'd be asking around for painkillers because then we'd feel like the tension and the neck pain and the headaches coming through but in hindsight when I, I remember at the time we just used to blame it on having a stressful job or oh it's been such a long day but not drinking enough water gosh countless amounts of cups of coffee and um, I used to be a fan of the vending machine so chocolate used to be coffee and chocolate were like my two things. But by lunchtime, three, four cups of coffee down, maybe one liter or 500 mils of water, you know, being um, um, taken in. And then the usual carb-fueled lunch, you know, whether it's takeaways or uh, a sandwich or whatever it was. And then three o'clock, you start getting a headache and you feel tense. And then end of the month, you want to feel, you, it's crazy, but you're quite right. The, the more you realize the benefits of taking care of yourself and eating well, goodness, like your whole, your whole body just begins to cooperate. Yeah, that's very true. And moving, just moving a little bit, walking yeah. or keeping a little bit active. I mean, it's, it's not easy because not everyone enjoys it, but yeah. getting the body moving. I really don't want this conversation to end because I feel like we could sit here all day. And I <laughs> you know, it's been a very rough year for many people. Lots of job losses, lots of um, loved ones have passed on. Um, people are adjusting and trying to cope with this new normal and it's very overwhelming. What would you say to someone who has just had the worst year and they just would like to maybe stop living or, you know, how, how would you say to someone, keep going? What advice would you have for someone who's at the brink of just giving up? Sure. Uh, it's been an incredibly difficult year um, for many people, my, myself included. Uh, several loved ones who've been retrenched, as you say, people who've lost their loved ones. Um, and it's, it's unfortunate and it feels unfair and it feels like it's not right. And 
um, you know, that at times we should be taking, you know, some kind of control into our own hands. But in very simplistic terms, for someone who doesn't feel like they, they want to live, I put it this way, and this is because I, 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 I've had close loved ones commit suicide before. And I guess my messaging to them would be, just think about the best scenario working out. What if the best scenario actually does work out? So often I think we focus on the negative and, you know, the worst case scenario and, oh, you know, this is against me, that's against me, that's against me. But all things do get better in time, you know. Um, um, and sometimes that's literally what we need, um, that you're given another opportunity today, you might be given an opportunity tomorrow and maybe even next year. And all of those are opportunities that buy you time to make sure that your circumstances can change. So as, as difficult as it is, um, and, and to someone who might be going through a difficult time at the moment, I'll definitely let them know that, trust me, that you are not alone. Um, some of us are just easier at hiding our problems than others, but you are most definitely not alone. Your fears, your anxiety, your um, 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 uncertainties, the things that make you cry at night are shared and can be resonated with, and people, multiple people can resonate with them. But just think, what if... What if you tried a little harder? What if you pushed through just one more day? What if things just got better? So there's always a world of possibility. Don't give up. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, Google Poopy. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me, Google. You're such a light and I have taken so much from this conversation and I will keep supporting and following your work. You are one phenomenal woman. And I hope that as you go along and you have these interviews, you collect all your flowers because I know that as a strong woman, sometimes you, it's very hard to actually sit and, and actually assess that you're doing really well for yourself. So collect all those flowers along the way and just know that you're such an inspiration, an inspiration to myself personally. So thank you for your time. Oh man, Angela, thank you so much. I must, um, I, for the audience that they don't know, you know, this interview is being postponed a couple of times, um, all because of my, my incapabilities. Um, but I'm really grateful that we had the time. I really enjoyed connecting with you. And I think you're, you're doing an amazing job on this particular platform. You know, even giving people like me, you know, the courage to let go of the formal structure of talking about the economy and, um, you know, leading from the heart. Uh, as one should do. So thank you for the opportunity and thank you um, for seeing my light and allowing my light to shine. And by doing that, yours shines so much brighter that you even inspire me. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Gugu. Thanks for listening to this episode of Stream, sponsored by local online furniture and decor boutique, Palmy Living. Locally designed and manufactured using only the best quality material and finishes. Create a home worth escaping to at palmyliving.com.